I, I think I saw people go all the way in the back there. That's, that's some really dedicated handshaking. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it, it's hard to follow, you know, Bob, Jens, but I, I think, you know, those are the subjects that we need to address here, and I'm glad that we have a church like Fellowship of Faith that allows us to talk about that and not hide. You know, our churches should be where we show weaknesses and we can feel comfortable being weak and hurt and damaged because this is a healing place. And as I start with this message, um, you know, I asked Dave that I, if I could talk about James. And as you get into the studying and preparing messages for it, it, it gets tough, you know, because James is, it's, it's hard hitting, it's good, but it's tough. And just like we're all out there last week, we talked about trials, and if I asked for a raise of hands and said, how many of you started a trial Monday? I'm sure I raised my hand, we all, we're all walking into trials. But this week, um, we're gonna talk about, I think one of the more controversial passages of James. It's, um, you know, James 2, 14 through, 14 through 26, if you want to bring it up on the slide. And I'm going to have everyone read this because I think when you say it out loud, you, you own it more. So, so what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing to physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds." You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the evens believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was filled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered for what she did when she gave a lodging to the spies and sent them off to a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You know, I don't know if you read that like me. It seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? Um, you know, actually, uh, Martin Luther, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, wanted to remove the book of James from the Bible for pretty much this passage because he was concerned that um, faith would be confused with works, meaning, you know, we had our work our way to salvation and that faith was the first path and works did that. So... Um, <laughs> You know, I think it is ironic, you know, James, as I mentioned last week, was the younger brother of Jesus, and how Jesus' impact and his revolutionary impact so many years ago is still impacting us today, and James, his brother, didn't fall far from him, and his, his, his letters 
today are causing this much controversy. So, um, you know, it, it's, as I approach this, I'm going to ask for grace and um, patience, like I always do, and hopefully you'll join me on this journey. So, one of the things I like about summer is the opportunity to ride my bike. I grew up riding my bike around the neighborhood, delivering papers to stores, to games, whatever. Um, it was my mode of transportation. I think I spent more time many summers riding my bike pedaling than I did walking. I don't know if you can agree with that. Then I learned to drive. And <laughs> my biking days slowly disappeared. Although that, one was ga- that was when gas was 40 cents a gallon. You know, now biking may be a, a good thing to try. So as I drove, and I realized that I wasn't biking anymore, I still needed to get my cardio in because I was an athlete. And so the next best thing was running. So I took up running. And I know that there are a lot of you out there that run. And I admire you for that. Because you actually run because you love it. You know, how crazy is that? I didn't run because I enjoyed it, and you could have verified that by the expressions on my face as I was running, you know. Um, But I did it because I needed to stay in shape for the sports I was playing. Fast forward, 2000, June, I went in and had ACL surgery. And so if anyone's had knee surgery, you know that it's a long recovery. And so ACL surgery is about a nine-month recovery. And for nine months, I couldn't run. And it was scary, because you know, you don't know if you're going to run the pain. You don't know if you're going to get through it. But after I was able to run, I ran. And you know, for a few short moments, I actually enjoyed it, because I thought I never was going to run again. And that, you know, enthusiasm about it. But Shortly after that, I got into this running because I had to. My, runner, my runner's face returned, and, and the aches and pains really came back. So about a year after my surgery, I had my last visit with my orthopedic that did the surgery. He was happy with the progress I made. Um, and he said that I had fully recovered. But as he was leaving, He said, you know, you only have so many miles in your legs. I think he was referring to my running. Thank me, shut the door, and I'm sitting there going, oh, thanks. (laughs) What do you do with that, you know? Is my next run going to be the run? Is it 10th run? There's no no specifics about that. So what am I going to do with that? So I continued to run, and as I got older, the wear and tear in my legs, you know, as a result of running, just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And after a few years, I realized I couldn't run anymore. Well, I mean, I could. If somebody stole my bike, I'd chase after them, of course. But um, I wasn't really running anymore. And so what did I do? I turned back to my childhood love of biking. So I went to the Walmart, you know, bought a you know, mid-level bike, weighed about a ton, um, big wheels. So... 
you know, after I started riding, and you know, you ride, you ride, but it was never really that enjoyable, so much to the fact that I'd be on the trail and I'd see these cyclists drive by, and I call them cyclists because, you know, they had spandex on, the helmets, aerodynamic gloves, shoes and stuff like that, and I'm working up a hill, and they're laughing. They're talking to each other, laughing. I think one of them had the feet up on the handlebars. That's how much he was enjoying it, okay. So I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm not enjoying it. How come they're enjoying it? And so the first thing I thought was, it's the bike. Of course it's the bike. So I went to our local bike store, and I, you know, I invested in a mid, you know, entry-level road bike, okay? And I'll tell you the truth, you lift that up, it was light. It was, so I thought all my troubles were solved. So I got riding it again, and I realized that, you know what? It was better than the Walmart bike, but still there was something missing. So thinking, you know, like any guy, it's got to be I need to accessorize, <laughs> you know. So, so I started adding things like new bike tape, uh, you know, helmets and, and pedals that you can clip into, arrow bars, and I thought that it was, and I kept riding and riding, and still there was something missing. I still saw these, you know, cyclists riding by, laughing, cheering, having fun. And I was having fun because I was outside and everything, but there was still something missing. And I then said, well, again, you know, it has to be the bike, you know. So I went to the bike store about six years ago and got a newer bike. This was carbon fiber. <laughs> yeah. It was light. It was so light that when I put my two water bottles on it, I doubled the weight. <laughs> so, so I started riding that, and I rode it for a while, and it was. It was enjoyable. I was able to go faster. I was able to really pedal easier. Um, but my knees started to hurt, and my butt hurt after some long rides. And I'm sure you all can agree with that. So the bike shop owner suggested, he said, Todd, why don't you um, get your bike fitted for you? And I, and I thought, well, it fits me. I sit on it. I can pedal it. It fits me. She goes, no, no, no. There's a lot of technology involved in getting your bike to fit for you. So they took all these measurements. They had plumb lines. They had, you know, no wind tunnels, of course, but that would have been cool. Um, and so they aligned the bike. And, and actually what ended up happening was, they were aligning me with my bike and, my, and the bike with me. And so I got out thinking, how much is that going to make a difference? These small changes, the seat height, to pedal length and whatever. I got out my first ride. I'm like, it made a difference. Okay. It was like, wow. Wow. You know? And I started to enjoy the ride. I started to get out. I wanted to ride. I started to do it. You know, and, you know, thank you for indulging me in some biking stories, but I'm betting everyone out here, you know, if I said gardening may do that to you, quilting, reading, we all have that thing that we do it because we enjoy doing it. And we continue to do it because it's, it brings us pleasure. You know, some, I know video games do it for some, again, I'm sure that if you thought really deeply and you look back and you say, this is my thing. So, um, but I also know, too, that those things change over time. And as you age and, you know, maybe seasons and winter comes, I can't bike, 
You know, there's some summers when I bike a lot, some others I don't. But you know what? It doesn't mean I'm not a cyclist, okay? The amount of activity doesn't define whether I'm a cyclist. I'm a cyclist because that's what defines me. I cycle because it brings me joy. I cycle because it brings me fulfillment. I cycle because I'm a cyclist. So I know I talked about biking, and I want to keep going on with this analogy because a lot of times when I put things in perspective, like James is, you know, you look at this hard to... So I try to put it in ways that I can understand it. And um, I think the main message James is trying to get across through this is that deeds and actions should naturally flow from your faith. I'm a cyclist. I love cycling. So what do I do? I cycle. Okay, and that's a very simplistic way, and I know maybe not as theological, but I put things in my perspective. In Luke 9.23, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So I think Jesus here is saying, you need to take action. Picking up your cross, denying me. Those are not things that are passive. Those are active processes. You know, I also look at Peter in John 18, 15. Three times Peter denied Christ. But their accusers, if you read what the accusers were saying, they were saying that, you know, we saw you with Jesus. We know that you've been hanging around. Um, they saw him in the garden. If you look at that, it wasn't like Peter was just, you know, name dropping, hey, I hang with JC, you know, we're all friends. They knew it because they saw him with him, walking with him, actions. Um, you know, and then I started to think about Peter's denial. And, you know, it's always easy for us many years in the future to say, I never would have done that. I never would have done I Christ, you know. But, you know, we're looking backwards. We know how the story ends. So I don't think it's a fair um, question that you could say with honesty. But I started to think in my life, if I was being accused of this, being a disciple of Jesus today, would there be enough evidence in my life to prove it that it was? You know, in a court of law, with a jury, my peers... Could I present enough evidence that the jury convict me that I was a disciple of Jesus? And, you know, I want to break down how that is and how I look at it because of my analytical brain. So there are two major standards for evidence. And we've all watched, who's watched legal, you know, Judge Judy, Judge Wapner, we all have that. So, so this is not the people's court, but... Um, so there's the first level of evidence is a preponderance of evidence, okay? And so this type of evidence, if I present it, would be that there was enough evidence presented that it was more likely to be true than not. So think of it like 51%. It's like there's just a little bit more than yes or no. So there's a little bit of confidence that is. Now, there's the other standard, which is beyond the reasonable doubt. And I think anyone's watched any type of, you know, celebrity type of trial. It's like, you know, it's the highest standard of proof. You know, in this, um, 
they have to show that there is no other explanation for this but guilty, meaning that there's no op, there's no oops or options, there's no other possibility that could be deduced from the evidence. And so now, again, we talk about what type of evidence would I would be required to get these decisions that I think about myself and if I was accused of being a follower of Jesus. You know, first off, there's testimonial evidence. You know, you call witnesses. They may tell stories. They may corroborate. They may support that you are, or in my case, I'm a follower of Jesus. There's real evidence, like physical evidence, like DNA evidence or, you know, blood stains or footprints or something like that that are present, okay? That's real evidence or physical evidence. There's documentary evidence, you know, like recordings or any type of documents that could place me in, in association with, you know, being a father of, Christ, father of Christ. And then there's demonstrative evidence, you know, and this is evidence that, you know, would support an eyewitness testimony with photographs, video, you know, because when you, when you have a, a witness out there, they're, they're explaining what they saw, but that could be cross-examined and proven. But if you have a picture and say, this is what I saw, that's usually enough to convince you or convince the jury of that. So I could sit here and try to demonstrate my faith through these standards, but it would really be embarrassing for me. Um, so I'm going to take the easy way out, and I'm going to go back to my cycling example. And I'm asking, if I was accused of being a cyclist, not how good I was of a cyclist, but am I a cyclist? I'm going to let you, the jury out there, decide if I could present enough evidence. So I would start my defense by calling my wife. She's out there somewhere. Jenny, you want to stand up? This is my first witness, my wife. And I'm hoping she's not a hostile witness. Okay, but we'll see. Okay. So, Mrs. Wilgos, may I call you Jenny? <laughs> you know, you've known the defendant for 11 years now. Would you say that your husband is a cyclist? Absolutely. Okay. So, why would you say that? Is there anything in particular you can come up with? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to say, it's uh, cat, your cats. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's uh, every, well, every, every chance there is to fight your own husband. Okay. Okay, thank you. Have a seat. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to mix, you know, preaching with lawyering. I'm not good at either. So, <laughs> so what, what physical evidence would I show you? You know, and, and if, you know, basing what Jenny said, if I took you to my garage and I opened up the garage, you'd, first thing you'd notice that, um, if you can show the picture of the bike, you'd notice in my garage that I have more bikes than cars. <laughs> You know, I have enough helmets and gear to fit the whole neighborhood with biking, you know. And then, you know, if you look down at my bike, I'm going to turn the laser pointer on and see if I can point to this. Um, you can see, you know, the tires have some wear on it, right? If you touch my chain, it wouldn't be fresh oil, it'd be dirty oil. You know, you can look at my handlebars and notice there's some wear spots on it, okay? My brakes 
aren't new. And I guess if you sample DNA from the water bottle, you may be able to trace it to my DNA. Okay. So this would be the physical evidence. So the next would be documentary evidence. And so, you know, if you could go to the next slide. So there's a Strava app, and this is an app that I track when I go bike riding. And you can see that it says, I've done 669 activities. And this is, you know, talking about a ride, a ride I did in 2023. Okay. So here's documentary evidence. If you go through and you can look at my route, you could say, here, I, I did that. Um, and if I rested my case here with this information, and I asked you as the jury for a raise of hands, would this be enough information for you and evidence to, one, you know, say that you can convict me with a preponderance of evidence that I'm a cyclist? And if I'd asked you to raise your hand, what would you say out there? No, nobody. Oh, okay. So I convinced some of you. Now, if I asked you, would there be, you know, without a reasonable doubt that I'm a cyclist, would, would there be enough evidence for that? And betting that probably a few people. And if I said, who wants me to finish and get some pie? I'm sure everyone's going to race. <laughs> so anyways, so, um, you know, this is at the point in the trial where the doors would burst open and someone would come running in and go, I've got this evidence to show you. And, and I would show the judge and the judge would show this picture. Okay. If you show the next picture. There. Okay. You see me on a bike riding. There's evidence that I'm action, I am riding a bike. So now if I ask the same question, would this be enough evidence to, without a shadow of a doubt, can, can you know, really affirm that I'm a cyclist? And I think many of you would agree that this was it, you know? Um, so, you know, what I'm trying to get to, and if you look to this as, um, how I was able to present this, and what you need to know is that I was able to find these examples within seconds, okay? Easy to find, you know? And, and why was it easy to find? Because I love cycling, and it's true. So I wanna bring this back to James. And I have to ask myself, is there enough evidence in my life demonstrating my faith in Jesus? Can I find the evidence as quickly as I found this? If it was, if I could, would it be enough for a preponderance of evidence? Or with a beyond a reasonable doubt, amount of evidence? Or would the case be dismissed and said there isn't enough evidence? You know, it, it, and if you put the next slide up, I like Tony Evans speaks on James. And he says, it is possible to have a useless faith that's not accomplishing anything in life. If you say you trust God, it should affect your feet. Once you become a Christian by faith alone, your faith has to get married to your works. Then what you believe about eternity will become alive and real in your history. And what, what I like about this is history, okay? Because I know many of us sometimes feel, like I said, through seasons. But... It's kind of like a lifetime achievement award when you look at it this way. So, in John 15, 1 through 2, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is a gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. 
and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So I think here, Jesus is saying, if you're following me, where's your fruit? I read, as I was going through this, that there's actually a fruit tree that has 40 different types of fruit growing from it. All the pruning and waging, and I'm like, you sit there and go, I, I think I just produced one fruit. Wouldn't it be great to be able to produce 40 fruits for God? So I asked myself in this, you know, am I an ornamental tree? Do I bloom and flower? Lose my flowers and turn green for the rest of summer? Maybe providing some shade for some people? Or do my flowers turn into fruit? Does it go from flowers to fruit? It also produces shade, but it produces something that's nourishing, not just for us, but for other people. And I want to show you this time-lapse photo to kind of drive this point home. It's a video of an apple tree from start to finish. And you can see how quickly it's going, and you see the buds. There's the flowering. And then it takes some time, and you can see Eventually, the apples growing from that. Don't you want to take that apple and bite it? <laughs> and I think uh, hopefully there's some apple pie out there. But I think that's an illustration. You know, where do we stop? Do we stop at the flowering? Do we shed our flowers and not move on? Do I? Or do we continue on and produce fruit in our life? Now, say... I can say with confidence that my life is sweeter when I put my faith in action. Now, for a second one, I sometimes, why don't I act? Because I'm afraid. I'm worried about what others will think. Worried that I'm not good enough. Then I'm reminded of Moses, okay, in Exodus 3.10. You know, God's talking to Moses. And before I read the verse, I think about the situation that Moses is in. He's talking with God. Okay, communicating with God. And he's having a discussion with God about how he is not good enough to go on and free the Israelites out of Exodus. Okay, so, you know, when we think about not being good enough, I think we need to look at Moses and give ourselves a little grace because, you know, Moses was talking with God. You know, we don't have God right next to us saying you're good enough. So, you know, when we have those doubts... Moses had doubts, and God was sitting right next to him. So give yourself some grace with that. And so, you know, through that, he kept saying, you know, how do I do it? How do I do it? And when I'm reading this, I look at, from a scientific perception, if I did a, if I did a scientific translation of this, and I saw that what God was doing to Moses was, was like, potential energy. He was lifting Moses up. And Moses was at the top. Okay. And I think that happens when we get into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus lifts us up and we have potential energy. And the question is, do we, do we convert that potential energy into kinetic energy? Do we have actions? And I think the best way to illustrate this for me is a roller coaster. Okay. And 
You can show this, and you can see how you get up, and right there, there's a pause. And that pause is like saying, do I get off, or do I continue the ride? And so you go on this ride, and I think sometimes the ride is the excitement in life. You know, we get there, we get to the top, and some of us are, okay, we're good enough. This is good enough for us. But in my life, I know that when I take that pause and think about the ride to come, I get excited. You know, sometimes I got my hands up, I'm screaming, sometimes I'm holding on for dear life. But I know God is in control of that roller coaster. So I can say that life is thrilling and exciting when I convert God's potential energy in me into kinetic energy. And lastly, you know, sometimes I don't put my faith into action because I don't think it'll matter. You know, I think we've all been there. You know, I'm just one person. How do I make a difference? And I'm going to show a slide, and, and I think we've all come across this. You know, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. You know? So, in our lives, we can be a mosquito. And, you know... I also found that when I put my faith into action, as I'm serving or helping others, I'm actually helping myself. It's one of those great things about how God converts our actions into actually helping people, but also helping ourselves. Because I think it changes our focus from internal to external. We stop thinking about our woes, and we start saying, what else is out there that I can do? I often found that when I'm down, the first thing I think about doing is serving somebody. You know, because it's really hard to be down and thinking about yourself when you're serving at someone else's feet. So I know that life is fulfilling when I, got, when I act. And I just want to, I'm bringing this to a landing. And I just want to say one thing that I didn't say when I talked about being a cyclist was that as much as the new bike and all the equipment gave me enjoyment from riding, I always started out like I handled running. I handled it because I thought I had to do it. I had to do it to stay in shape. I had to do it to keep healthy. And so I set goals. I said I wanted to ride these many miles. I wanted to ride this fast as an average speed. And, you know, when I did it, I was happy. But when I didn't, I was disappointed. Until a few years ago, and I told this to Jenny, and she was surprised. I said, it was one day I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I can't ride because I have to. I can't ride because this needs to be done, and I need to stay healthy. So I changed my thinking. I said, you know what? I'm just going to ride to ride. I don't care how many miles I go. I don't care how fast I go. I'm just going to ride to ride. And you know what? That day was the first day I fully enjoyed the ride on my bike. And I think that we can make the same thing with acts and deeds or faith. God wants us to enjoy our lives. He wants us to live it fully to the richness. Not because he wants us to do something. He wants our faith to have flow into actions to embrace and enjoy life.
You know, and I want to thank you all for listening. You know, as I prepare these messages, I look at all of you as 200 plus therapists out there. You know, as I go through messages, I find that I'm working on myself more and, than, than really anyone else. And I hope some of you can, you know, feel what I'm feeling up here. But, you know, I still, after all of this, I still ask myself, if today I was accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? But maybe the question I need to ask instead of that is, with all that God has to offer, why isn't there evidence in my life? So if you bow, my, you bow your heads, I'm going to praise, pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the openness of everyone sitting here. Thank you for just hopefully speaking through me and not me getting in the way. I thank you for the rain we've got. I thank you for just a place like Fellowship of Faith that we could serve you, honor you, and just glorify you. I praise that throughout this weekend, this 4th of July weekend, we can enjoy fellowship and family and just, again, honor you in our actions and our words. I pray for all the people here and everyone listening online that they are able to go out today and just enjoy what you have to offer. Live an act of faith. It's in your name we pray. Amen.